Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope you are uh, ready for some good news this morning because we're continuing our series called Awe. And as we've been doing so, like every other week, we're going to unpack a phrase from God's description of himself in Exodus chapter 34. And I'm really excited about this phrase, maybe more than any other phrase we've hit so far. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to go to Exodus 34. I'm going to read our series passage for us and tell you where we're camping out this morning for the next few minutes. This is where God comes before the leader of Israel, Moses, passing before him and proclaiming in Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will who but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. This morning, we're camping out on the phrase, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And I don't know if uh, that topic sounds immediately accessible or exciting, uh, but I want to invite us into a moment as we start here to pray on our own, uh, us before God, to, to focus our attention, focus our hearts, so that we, together, by the end of our time, will be awed by his forgiveness. So would you join me and pray yourselves where you're at, and then I will pray for us as well, that God would use this time together. Father, we're grateful for this time. We thank you that you are with us. And I ask that what we do in these moments would be so useful for you to meet us where we are at and take us further than we ever thought possible. I speak that for myself and for everybody who's listening this morning, be it in here or in Nickel Hall, in Jesus' name, amen. If I were to summarize the point of, of all this this morning, you know, maybe your head's kind of thinking about the turkey later or, you know, visiting people or friends or whatever, and, and you're just like, man, like, like I'll, I got to get to that this morning. It's why I'm at the 9 a.m. service. It's why I'm, like, you know, getting here quick. Uh, don't miss this. This is, this is if, if I were to give you my message in one sense, it would be this, that God's act of forgiving is our greatest reason for thanksgiving. God's act of forgiving is our greatest reason for thanksgiving. Not necessarily thanksgiving the day uh, or the stat holiday or any of that, but the posture of the heart, the response to who God is and, and what he's done, the perspective that we carry into these worship services together, that that is a thanksgiving, a gratitude that comes primarily, I think, because of his act of forgiving. Forgiving. There's something about us, there's something about humanity that requires God to be forgiving, and thankfully he is. 
So I've got, as some of you know, I've got a couple of kids at home, a a three-and-a-half-year-old, a a a one-and-a-half-year-old, and and, uh, sometimes uh, that can make a really, you know, a fun uh, sort of scenario from time to time. You know, they're they're, they're close enough in age, and my my youngest is is close enough in size to my oldest, so uh, they can, you know, they can have a lot of fun together doing some things like that. But there's also some negative side effects to them spending time together, and and as boys will do when they're getting together, you know, oftentimes uh, one person gets shoved and the other person falls down, or, or, you know, a toy gets stolen or something. Something uh, just, just you know, and then chaos ensues. Now, my youngest, because he is uh, a bit uh, maybe disproportionately large for his age, uh, can actually stand up to my oldest and and pick a fight with him at times. But he doesn't use his size to his advantage. He uses his mouth to his advantage, and and the speed at which he grew teeth, especially to his advantage. And um, so what happens often in our home is, is uh, my oldest, Zane, uh, he'll do something kind of crazy and, and rile up uh, my youngest, Zadok. And, and, and so what happens is, and, and we can see it, my wife and I can see it happening as it's about to happen, is my youngest will open his mouth and just charge at him. Like, just like, ah! Like and you know, sometimes it's even like several feet away. So it's like we're watching like a mouth open charge, like this crocodile is coming to consume some sort of you know antelope or something, and he just wants to chomp and bite him and pay him back. Like you stole my toy, Arr! you 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 made a loud noise and scared me. Arr! You know, it's just like wow, what is happening? And he's not in the nursery right now, parents. He's you're safe. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, but, but this is what he does. And, and, and there's something in us that, that uh, even at a young age, you can see there's a desire in us to get payback when we've been wronged, right? All of us sort of resonate, whether we'll stand up and say we're big fans of justice or not, you know, all of us resonate with this idea of payback, for giving people a punishment that fits a crime they commit. I mean, we're, we're outraged, honestly, when somebody's declared innocent who is, in fact, guilty, But what I'm not sure we often think about in our relationship with God and maybe in our society is that God, being good and holy and righteous and just, is in a position to pay us back for wrongdoing that we commit. And I don't know if this morning you you feel maybe the need for God's forgiveness or the worthiness to get God's forgiveness, whether you think you deserve it or not, whether you think you need it or not, the Bible will come in and say, you actually do need God's forgiveness. There is something about humanity, aside from the inconvenience of a broken world, there is a responsibility that each of us carry for our wrongdoing, for our iniquity, transgression, rebellion, and sin, that that the Bible presents to us that, hey, we need desperately the forgiveness of God. Uh, a couple places we see this over, and it's a theme all throughout the Bible. Psalm 52, uh, Psalm 53, sorry, verses 2 to 3 says, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all fallen away. Together they've become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 puts it this way, uh, and speaking to Christians, but referring to their situation before meeting Jesus, says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in them. He carries on to say, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And then get this, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, 
like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. First John will later clarify and say, hey, if you say you have not sinned, your truth is not in you. You're making God out to be a liar, in fact. And all of this, this, this weight, all of these truths that are presented to us, uh, they, they make for a really uh, bleak picture of humanity apart from the work of God, don't they? A hopeless, helpless one. And thus far, this is like the greatest Thanksgiving message you have ever heard, right? But our gospel, our good news, is only so good because the bad news of our gospel is really honestly just awful. Our good news is of ultimate good because the bad news is is so, so, so bad that we cannot earn and do not deserve something we desperately need, and that is the forgiveness of God by, by which our wrongdoing is dealt with, our wrongdoing, this barrier between us, this barrier between us and God, between death and life, is dealt with. And the great thing, though, this morning, I said there would be good news, and there is good news, because God, seeing us at our worst, moves towards us. Seeing us at our worst, he brings us his best. And I don't know how you decide whether or not you like something or even love something. It's usually not by getting some sort of honest trailer about how bad things are. You know, no company is going to pitch its marketing and go, hey, uh, here's our product. Uh, Here are the six ways it's going to cost you and wreck your wallet financially. Here are the things it will do to your health that are just going to be terrible for you. Uh, Here's the ways it's going to strain your relationships if you use it. No, no marketing really wants to do that. They want to put forward the best of what they have to offer so that you'll respond in a positive way, so that you will engage with it and love it. But God, seeing us at our worst, still goes, I am a God, as Exodus 34 says, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Regardless of whether you think you need it or not, regardless of whether you think you you deserve it or not, the Bible and God's word will show us, hey, you need this desperately. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. but, But what you can do is receive it from the hands of a God who does forgive. A God who forgives. And if that is not good news for us this morning, that although our bad news is so bad, our God is so good that there is good news for you and for me. How is this going to happen, though? How is this going to happen? You know, even this, this, this word of forgiveness in, in the Hebrew here from this text, from this scene in Exodus 34, what it conveys is God wants to remove something from us. Or perhaps lift something off of us. Which uh, for me, and, and being a millennial, I, I, I immediately thought of my phone, right? 
that's what we, that's what we do at, at our age. We're just always thinking about our phones. But, but I was thinking about my phone because this idea of lifting off uh, kind of started getting me shaping some imagery in my mind about, about how I use my phone. And, and there's certain things on my phone that I have to lift off. So in our office at the church here, uh, we, you know, we're always using different applications. And on our phone, on, at least on my phone, there's a bunch of programs that send and receive data that eat up my battery that I'm using. And uh, when they're running, uh, you know, sometimes I have to, you know, go and jump into another application, uh, which means those that were currently running are now running in the background. But when they're running in the background, and there's one in particular in our office that we use by which phone calls are, are made and received through our switchboard, uh, it just, honestly, it just drains our battery dry. You like see Pastor Lyndon walking around with like six charging cords hanging out of his pockets. That's why, because this thing just kills his phone in particular, and it's funny for us, but it's not funny for him. And it's just, you know, this thing always has to run in the background, though. Now, you don't want to have it up all the time because you need to check messages, you need to take pictures, you need to, you know, check social media, you need to do things with your phone that aren't, you know, bound up in this app. But he has to have this thing running. Now, on my phone in particular, uh, if I want to close something, if I want something to stop running in the background, I have to kind of, you know, do the little double tap thing on my home button, and I have to start swiping these things up, Right? I have to lift them up and off my screen over and over, however many of them there are. Oftentimes I'm surprised by how many are running in the background, and I'm going, well, yes, no wonder my battery is dying, because all of these things are running. And, and you know, sometimes my wife will be like, man, where's the charging cord? Like, I, I got I to gotta get, get some juice here. And I'm like, well, what, did you close your apps today? And she'd be like, I, I don't know, so I'll, I'll take your, I'll like grab it from her just to, you know, be funny about it, and just like, wow, you've got like, so many open, right? Like, they're all running. They're all eating up your back, like, the, the data and all of that. And, and, and what it's headed towards is it's draining our batteries dry. And why, why I tell you this? Why I think about it? Because this is sort of how I see sin in my life, especially before I met Jesus. There is something, whether we acknowledge it or not, that is running in the background of our lives that is draining us, emptying us, and honestly is, is putting us in a direction towards death. Like Ephesians says, this, you were dead in this before. You were deserving of wrath before. you got to lift, lift these things off. Get them off you. Remove them. And I can do that for you. And it ultimately happens that God in Exodus is presented when he decides to take the stage himself in the history of the world, in the person of Jesus, and he's going to come and deal with this. And I love already in the first descriptions of Jesus from the New Testament, you can, you can jump into, into uh, the book of, of Matthew, into, into chapter 1. You see, one of the first things that's mentioned about Jesus on the scene is that, you know, the, this virgin is going to be with child. She's going to bear a son who's going to be the son of God. And it said, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And how is he going to do that? How is this act of, of removing, this, this lifting off, something that we need? We need this lifted off of us if we're going to experience relationship with God, a hope and a future, a power for the present. We need it lifted off. How is this going to happen? Well, Jesus is going to lift off our sin by being lifted up with our sin. In John chapter 12, he says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. See, in a more serious way than my phone, where I have to lift apps physically off the screen to close them down, shut them off, 
In a more serious way, Jesus needs to be lifted up from the earth with our sin, bearing it on his shoulders so that it can be lifted off from us. And he needs to die in this way in the, in the Roman Empire to be lifted up on this, this humiliating, you know, this, this torture device called the cross. Because we know from the, from the rest of the, the, the biblical record and all the truth of what sin does to us and what we're responsible for and how it affects us is that what this earns is death. The wages of sin is death, as Romans 6 will tell us. And then as Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, says later, that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus lifts it off of us by being lifted up with it and takes it there. And for me, this is, this is astounding. This is what forgiveness will require. A God this big, a God this good. How is he going to be, like he reveals to Moses, how is he going to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin? It's going to be by paying a price himself that we could not pay. The price is death, but Jesus enters the scene and goes, look, I want this to cost me everything because I don't want it to cost you anything. And forgiveness becomes free. Oh yes, there's a cost to following Jesus, but in order to enter that relationship with Jesus, he has paid it all for you and for me. Isn't that good news? That for as bad as our bad news is, the good news about who God is, yes, he's good, yes, he's compassionate, but his forgiveness, if you are in awe of that, that reality, that he lifts this off of us and makes it available to us, that for me is the reason this is our greatest source of thanksgiving. God's act of forgiving is our greatest reason for thanksgiving. Now maybe you're, maybe you're here and you never thought you had a need for forgiveness before. Maybe you didn't realize there was something actually uh, bad working against you that, 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 that God actually, in fact, needs to do something. There is something you need forgiveness for. What do you do with that? Well, this is the question at day one of the church. In, in Acts chapter 2, in fact, when the, when the first messages were preached after Jesus goes and is lifted up with our sin, dies and pays for it, and then comes back to life and starts to build his church in the power of the Holy Spirit, this message is proclaimed of the good news that, that hey, forgiveness is available. And the people, they're, they're cut to the heart and they go, what, what do we do? So in Acts chapter 2, it says, when they, when they heard this, they heard Peter's message that, that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. In Acts 2.37, it says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Maybe that's your question this morning. Well, what, what should I do with this? What should I do with these truths, with the word that's been proclaimed, with, with this feeling in my heart right now that I need to act on something? What should I do? And you need to do exactly what Peter tells them from day one. In Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, turn to God. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you. It's for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. 
So your need, the need for forgiveness is for all of us, but so is the solution and the offer of forgiveness. It is for you. And what do you need to do? You need to turn to God today. And maybe, maybe God's word to you, if, if, you've, if you know, maybe you've been sitting here for a long time and, and you've, you've been exposed to Christianity, you've been exposed to the good news, you've heard of what Jesus has done over and over in conversation or from a, from a platform like this, and you're like, well, so now what do I do? Maybe God's word to you is come home. Come home. You need my forgiveness. Yes, you don't deserve it. Yes, you cannot earn it. But come home. It is available because I am a God who is forgiving. I forgive iniquity, transgression, wickedness, rebellion, and sin, the very thing that is killing you. And maybe it's only running in the background of your life, but come home. Let me lift this off of you because I was lifted up for you. Come home. Turn to him. Turn to him and receive that today. But maybe for some of us, you know, we've, 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 we have received his forgiveness. There has been a turning point in our lives whereby no longer were we just called sinners who need forgiveness. We're called saints who have forgiveness. Over and over in the New Testament, we're referred to as saints. Even, even in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, look, this letter is to the saints. And this good news is so good that, that in him you have forgiveness because of the riches of his grace. So what do we do with a message like this? What do we do being pointed out this morning on Thanksgiving Day that the reason for our Thanksgiving is God's forgiving? What, what do we do? It Maybe we just need to walk in that in a way that we currently are not. See, I had some friends a couple years ago who, who had this dog. I'm a dog person. I, I really love dogs, and I grew up with dogs. I don't have one now. I, I wish I did, but, but we, we would visit this, this family, and they had this really cool dog, and out in the yard where we'd often have barbecues or have a fire or something, uh, you know, the, the dog would sit there, and he'd be, he'd be chained to this tree so he couldn't run around, and uh, there was, you know, often the gate was open, so you didn't want him running into, you know, the suburb and, and chasing cars and all of that, and so, you know, he was often leashed to this tree, and this tree was pretty close to where we would often and have our meals. You know, we, we'd be, you know, we'd be having steaks on the barbecue, hamburgers, you know, we'd be roasting something at the fire nearby this tree as well. And this one particular time we were over for a barbecue, uh, the dog was, was not leashed, uh, which was unusual for this dog. Uh, often, like, the, the owners just made sure he was chained in there because, you know, they didn't necessarily fully trust him to stick around or, or you know, come and swipe our food from us. But this one time he was not chained. He was not leashed. There was nothing holding him, tethering him to this tree. And uh, during, uh, you know, during our conversation as we're sitting around having a barbecue, uh, my friend uh, throws the dog a big piece of meat, like bigger than I would have thrown the dog. I'm like, that's good meat. But, you know, he throws the dog this piece of meat. I mean, dogs are great. But uh, this meat lands uh, a bit further away than I think the owner intended. And uh, it was kind of, it would take the dog, you know, to kind of run over, uh, realize that, hey, this is going to be really tasty. Run over there, grab it, take hold of it. And, uh, but the dog, on, uh, for some reason or other, even though it was not chained up anymore, just sat there. And it wandered to about the edge of where it could normally wander when it was leashed. And it went no further. And we're just kind of watching this, like, that meat's just sitting there, like, bugs are going to get on it. Jesse's going to go and grab it for himself. Like, what are we, we going to do with this? And the owner is like, look, hey, hey, you, you're free, go get it. And in that moment when I heard that word free, I thought, that's me, so often. 
I'm not chained anymore. I did receive God's forgiveness. I do have it. There's now no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. It's, been, it's for freedom that God set me free. And yet there's shame, there's guilt about past things and present things that I'm holding on to. And I'm thinking I'm tethered to that like a dog tethered to a tree. And I can't walk forward. I can't move past the perimeter of that in order to walk in the fullness of what my Father has for me. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to realize there's no leash anymore. There's no chain anymore. God has done it. God has paid for it. He lifted your sin off by being lifted up with your sin. Maybe you just need to now walk in that freedom. Realizing you're not chained. Realizing forgiveness is available. That if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of it. And to cleanse you of it. And to allow you to walk into more. So what is it in in your life? What is it in my life even? Where we're thinking, man, I'm like this dog chained up. I can't go forward. I can't go further. Maybe you just need to be free today from whatever it is. Whatever it was that was was bogging you down. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the 50th time. You need to come before God and maybe either come home today Or be free today. Because God's act of forgiving is our greatest reason for thanksgiving. So our team is going to sing a song over all of us this morning. And maybe you just need some space to consider the magnitude of the goodness of our God today. And come before him, maybe to come home, or maybe to walk in freedom. So the front is open. There's empty chairs around. Maybe you need to stand, sit, kneel. Maybe you just need to come before God in the stillness of your heart and go, Jesus, thank you for making forgiveness available. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But I need it. And I come before you today to receive it for myself. Speak with him. He's here.